The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. When Teresa Gatting became CEO of Telecom at 37, she became forever famous as a glass ceiling breaker, the first woman to run an NZX Top 50 company the top paid business person in the country. But then, when she left the roles, those ceilings pushed down again. The number of non-male leaders and the pay differentials are only barely better today than 20 years ago. There's only a handful of leaders in the NZX Top 50, growing but so slowly. We last talked on the pod four years ago about initiatives she was helping create, getting Shio off the ground here, where women, through acts of radical generosity, empower women entrepreneurs. Since then, Teresa has seen her co-founded company My Food Bag IPO. She's become chair at Tend. She's helped to publicise the problem of burnout by sharing her story. But the gender opportunity and achievement gaps still remain. And so to do more at the structural level, Teresa has just announced she will work with Auckland University to create a new hub to help increase participation and excellence in entrepreneurship for women by funding the Teresa Gatting Chair of Women in Entrepreneurship. To talk about that, the journey and burnout, Teresa joins us now. Tenakwe, thank you for being here. Morena. Hey, first up... Let's quickly chat about that that chair there. So, um, yeah, you're, so you're funding at two point five million at least over the next ten years to actually kind of fund the chair. But with that comes a whole kind of hub, doesn't it? Tell tell me what it is. <clears throat> yes, very much so. The vision is to create a whole centre, a centre both for academic study, a centre that mixes that with practical real-world application by having successful women entrepreneurs lecture in the courses, by having people going through the courses do internships at at, um, women-led founder companies, and to marry that with research. So we're recruiting for the chair at the moment. In fact, I've got a, um, a session about that this afternoon. And that person will be leading it, but really we've got a very, very big vision. And in time... We want to also do what's called sort of micro-credential courses, six-week programs for women and possibly some blokes, but mainly women, who couldn't do a full-time course of study or a, or a paper, but who would love to actually have the upskilling, that under, understanding about finance and entrepreneurship and running a business is what, what this course is going to teach. Yeah, tell me about 
where the idea came from and and about that focus on the finance and the business. And I saw somewhere that you'd said, you know, we want more women to be able to confidently read a profit and loss statement and the like. Is that is that a big problem? Well, what's a big problem and what's obscene really is that about half a dozen very wealthy white men have the same wealth on the planet as about half the population. And so the system is broken. And I deeply believe that if women had equal say in the levers of money, not just political power, but money, then we wouldn't have a world like this. And so everyone has a different calling. My kopapa for me is around business. Because like you guys, I believe that business is the very opposite of boring. I believe that it's scintillating. And when I was in lockdown, I had time to think. I mean, we were all sent to our rooms to have a little think, weren't we? And I thought, what could I do that would make a profound difference? You know, I've, I haven't got the physical energy I had 20 years ago. We'll probably talk about that later because it leads into the burnout topic. But I still have a lot of energy, a lot of resources. And I thought, gosh, you know, I accidentally became an entrepreneur after I left telecom. And I love it. And I've been supporting other female entrepreneurs for several years with CEO. I, I know what's necessary. And so I thought, I'm going to use my time and my money to fund something that will make a generational impact for women entrepreneurs in New Zealand and hopefully set in motion something which will actually be taken up elsewhere in the world too. Tell me about how you went about bringing that to be. Uh, you know, what did the university say when you said, hey, I've got this idea, how about we target uh, women with the specialist courses and a specialist centre? Uh, look, the, it, they were really good. They were really good. It, it did take a little bit of a little bit of time. They so got it. They they so got it. The first meeting was a little awkward because there were so many people in the room. And what I seem to be saying, which is I wanted it in business school, it had to have mana, but I also wanted women doing other courses, politics, arts, music, to take these papers and to feel like they if the, if they decided they wanted to run their own business, they would actually know where to start. So that idea covers different parts of the university. So they weren't quite sure what to expect in that first meeting, so they had all the bases covered, but when they got it, they really responded and put a, a concept paper together, which I just went, yep, this this is it. And so we, we sort of went from there in terms of how we might shape it, how we might fund it, and... Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a great process so far working with them. And the day of the announcement, my um, email, my LinkedIn profile, my text, my phone was actually full of eighteen year old daughters of friends saying, "Well, I know what I'm going to study next year." Or you know, it's like it's like imagine if I had woken up that day at eighteen because I did business degree at Waikato, and gosh, gosh, I can do this. It, it, it so opens up opportunities. So, um, yeah, so far it's been great, but we're hoping to, if yet, yet to be sure about this, but we'd like to get it going for next year, for in, in next calendar year. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And is it designed to be a space for people who might not think business school applies to them? Absolutely. I remember we spoke last time yeah. about how uh, being a feminist and someone who cared and wanted to be a business leader wasn't an easy thing when you were at business school. But 40 years later, it's quite cool now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, still think that there's a, a lot of different ways of thinking about money. I still think a lot of people do think money is bad or, or at least scary. They're sort of fearful of it. 
And when you're in fear of something, you contract, you walk away from it. And a lot of people aren't drawn to business. They don't come from a business background. They might want to change the world in a different way, or they might just have a God-given talent at drawing, architecture, singing that they want to you know, bring to all of us. And yet we live in a world where sooner or later, most of us are self-employed. And in the sort of 30 years of my career, so last 30 years of my career, I guess, 40 years so far, it's really gone from people working for large companies to people actually wanting to work for entrepreneurs, to people becoming entrepreneurs, to people accidentally finding themselves with a good idea that they don't then know how to monetize. And I was so fortunate that I learned from a lot of male mentors in business. This is after my business degree. This is just real world experience. But I see that a lot of women don't. They really struggle. And then they either get taken advantage of or or, the, or New Zealand, we miss out on the fruits of those great ideas. Uh, I mean, Celia had the idea of my food bag and she and her husband, Nadia Kalas and I set it up. And that has created so much goodness in New Zealand. And it's like that happens all the time if you can unleash women's ideas and if those women can be surrounded by people who can help them realise those dreams. Yeah, and that other point you made just before about financial autonomy as well, um, when you mentioned that people get taken advantage of, one of the big things if women say, oh, I don't deal with the numbers my husband does, is you see it again and again in um, divorce settlements in that they haven't had a real picture of what the finances are or you know, they're, they're, they're not being treated fairly as a result. And that kind of abrogation of, of, of you know, this isn't something I deal with can lead to all kinds of um, disenfranchisement. Really. It certainly can. When the Herald's been running a series on that and I've certainly counselled women who've been in that situation. Um, but taking advantage of doesn't. It can also happen with external parties, with people who come along and say, "Oh, I can give you capital, or I can sort capital for you." And these are the terms. And women are desperate; they don't know better. They don't know how to access a, how to even think about that. So, it's really equipping women with the skills to be able to make informed choices in a safe environment. Ah, that's so cool. And looking forward to seeing how you make it into a space that attracts people who might not be attracted to the traditional um, kind of it's still, you, you know, like we, we think business is very boring, but perhaps business school, if you're a young creative, still feels a bit grey and a bit um, businessy. Oh, maybe. But, you know, yeah. I hope blokes will do this too, because why wouldn't you want to come and le- learn from Celia Robinson or Anna Mowbray or Carmen Visselish? You know, some of the Best young entrepreneurs in New Zealand currently are women. So why wouldn't everyone who wants to be an entrepreneur or even considers that want to come and learn from them? Ah. And t- talking about um, Cecilia there, um, t- tell me about how things – so last time we spoke was um, before uh, the my food bag, um, before you left uh, the company there, and now you're into 10. Yes. Um, Celia and James had the idea for 10 – and we started working on that, quietly working on that, the, the year before lockdown. So it might look like it was a response to lockdown, but actually they'd already had the idea. We, and, but really over lockdown, the idea that you could have a doctor in your pocket, well, a pocket if you're a guy and your handbag if you're a woman, you know, doctor on the phone, that idea really got resonance and took off. So Tend Health is um, our new big startup, and we have clinics as well. But the idea is to improve the healthcare outcomes for Aotearoa, for everyone in New Zealand, because our primary healthcare, some would say it's in crisis. It's certainly very strange. You know, my mum, 80 years old, in the Bay of Plenty, 
when she went there a few years ago, she could have got into her GP the next day. Now it's a two-week wait, you know, under pressure. GP's under pressure, the system under pressure. And so by actually utilising technology, funny thing is, when I was at Telecom all those years ago, we thought that internet would transform health. Gosh, it's transformed online dating a hell of a lot faster than it's transformed health. So it's basically using the technologies that are there and the fact that we've got a generation of people who are used to living online to make it easier for people to look after themselves, to, for, to be healthy. Yeah, and that big revolution and change to people kind of owning their own data or being in control of it versus there being a file sitting somewhere at a GP uh, as people move more and as people yeah. have fewer family or long-term relationships to a single person and they're more related to a practice. Yeah, it's a, it's such a huge change in the way that people relate to, to medicine. And, and also um, reflecting the diversity of this country. Uh, we have the app in Toreo. We have doctors who speak multiple languages. When we're not all, you know, coming from the same background. South Auckland is full of people who speak a Pacific language as their first language. And we have to change all the major systems in our country to embrace that. Yeah, and how's it going? It's going very well. Yeah, it's going very well. Um, we, we're both growing organically and actually buying GP practices. So, you know, when GPs want to retire, it's quite hard to know, you know, how to, what, what exit path they should take. And quite a few of them are finding a way to our door. And we'll be back in a minute to chat about burnout in business. Kia ora, Justin Giovanetti here, and I'm the political editor at The Spinoff. This podcast, like so much of the work we do at The Spinoff, is made possible by the support of our members. To find out more about The Spinoff members and how you can help us keep producing quality, independent journalism, visit members.thespinoff.co.nz and do it today. Earlier in the year, Teresa, um, you were on Sunday, the TV show, talking about the issue of burnout, mm. which is another kind of way of making space for more people in business, isn't it? To, um, you know, it was something that I think is really important and not really talked about enough. Can you t tell me about, um, yeah, tell me about your story? Well, how I came to be on the program was I was um, facilitating a conversation at a Company of Women event, which is a support group for female entrepreneurs as well. And Miriam Akamo was there and she heard me mention it in passing and she came up to me and said, look, we're thinking about doing a story about this. We think it would really help people. Would you be interested in sharing your story publicly? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I'd already, you know, shared it publicly in smaller groups and um, then didn't hear anything for a while. But then some months later, she said, we're going to do a story. Um, and I was contacted about it. I went through it all. And so it ended up, of course, as these things doing, being a bit more, you know, they wanted me at my place at the beach which and, and in Auckland and various things. But anyway, it was um, came together really well because they had stories of different people, you know, farmer, chef. They had different stories and people, but people being very honest about it. So that's how it came to be. And what happened to me was really, um, you know, in my early mid-50s, Working with business partners 20, 20 years younger, 25 years younger, and just really going for it, and doing all the other things I was doing, chairing a big board in Australia, many other things, I didn't acknowledge that I didn't have the energy that I had had in my 30s. I just really pushed myself too far. And then one day I just collapsed, and that was the start of um, a year, really, a, a, a year of being unwell. Um, for, for months I couldn't leave my bedroom, and... oh. 
I, I slowly, very slowly got better. But I, during that period, absolutely said, I, I cannot let this happen again. I have to actually, you know, 60 is the new 40. Yeah, nah. You know, so, and and I, and sharing that, honestly, the feedback has been overwhelming. I've had people, strangers come up to me in cafes, um, give me a hug, tell me, Thank you for sharing that. I've had young Māori women say, yes, it's so good that someone with your um, profile would actually share that because it's a real issue. And so I feel really good about um, uh, speaking about it and I think it's really important as a conversation because we live in a world where anything is possible. That doesn't mean that you should try and do everything. Yeah, and and that, like like you say, like because of your... um Profile as kind of the highest achiever, you know, the, the youngest uh, leader of a big NZX top 50, first female leader of telecom, you know, like, like by being the person who was such a high achiever, it's the thing that catches people who are trying to do too much. And so people often feel, don't they, that um, that they can't say, oh, look, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm not able to do everything or I'm feeling a little bit um, under, um, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling a bit crushed because then it goes against the kind of myth of them as being able to do everything. Tell, tell me about that kind of dimension yeah, to it. Yeah, well, a very good friend of mine, Jenny Rudd, who, um, editor and owner of Uno magazine, the Mount Mount she calls me captain of girls' games. And <laughs> that's, you know, that I guess that is the sort of image. Um, but you have to be able to be true to yourself. And look, Simone Biles did that this week in the Olympics. She said, yeah, I might be the greatest female gymnast of all time, but right now my body is telling me it doesn't want to perform that routine. And I, I was disgusted with the commentators, Piers Morgan, et cetera, who, you know, get on with it. She could have done herself serious harm if she'd ignored the warning her instinct was giving her that enough was enough. And so she walked away and then came back and supported her teammate to win gold. I mean, fantastic. And it's honouring that intuition. It's actually going, yes, I know that's the expectation. People in the caring professions can get burnt out too. You know, it's not just business achievement. It, it's the it's the feeling that you have to, that you should. For me, it helps to have a gatekeeper, my assistant, who can say no, but I have got better at saying no. I mean, I got off some boards at that time. Others, I said, I can't do anything for three months or six months. I still have a bit of an obsessive tendency to take on too much, but I... I Really try really hard now not to work in the evenings to sort of shut down and watch Netflix like the rest of the population. I never did that. I never watched TV. I just worked all the time. So um, I, I'm trying very hard to protect my personal space. I spend a lot of time in the Bay of Plenty where the pace is more relaxed than in Auckland. And um, I respect other people's no's. You know, you make a request for someone to do something. I choose to do quite a few things and I want to do them magnificently. And that means I cannot do everything that I'm asked to do or even would like to do. What What are the signs of burnout coming as one of the things that seems to be very um, uh, well, reasonably consistent is that people weren't aware, aware just how far they'd pushed themselves until too far? Yes, I think that is right. I had had a wake-up call the previous year, actually, when I'd had sort of a month in bed over the summer with a very bad sore throat and exhaustion. And it had sort of gone unnoticed in my life because most people take January off anyway. So the fact that I sort of collapsed the Christmas before and was out of action for a few weeks didn't wasn't really noticed. But then it came back, and I think that was a warning signal which I ignored, 
I also think repressed emotions can be part of it. I was still dealing with grief from the unexpected death of my best friend uh, uh, a year or so earlier. And I, I hadn't had therapy for that. I, I thought I'd dealt with that. And then I just found myself driving and crying and realised I haven't dealt with this. And so I think the Western world, not the Te Ao Māori world, but in the Western world, we think of these things as separate, our wairua, our spirit, our intellect, our mind, our body, just like we think of the whenua, the moana, the land, the sea, and everything as separate. These things aren't separate. We are interconnected. We are interconnected with, within ourselves and with each other and with our environment. And so as you go along in life, you accumulate things. You, you get physically older and you get injuries and you accumulate emotional things as well. And to it can all build up and to keep yourself refreshed, to take breaks during the day, you know, during the year, to actually um, really listen to your body, is, I, I think that's the main thing. But because I don't know that it ever is completely a surprise. I think if you ask people, they'll say, well, yes, but, you know, I, I did get sick, but I got better. Or I realised I was not leaping out of bed with joy and enthusiasm every morning, but I just kept myself doing it. you really got to recalibrate and go, why am I doing things that aren't happy choices? And we're all, we're all carrying a bit more at the moment due to the long-term uncertainty, stress and... Um, upheaval of COVID, aren't we? I mean, everyone's working from a deficit in some way at the moment. Yes, I mean, I myself am, each day I'm thinking that we we are still free, that we can move around. You look at New South Wales and I go, wow, there's a very, um, some good energy sitting over Aotearoa that, that is keeping that, you know, we're at the moment still, still safe. And quite frankly, as I w- came down here in my car, thinking about the wallabies playing at Eden Park, I thought, you know, wow, is that really a good idea? So sorry, whoever agreed that, but I think that's a risk. Anyway, so we are carrying that, and I think it's getting a bit worse again because the rest of the world doesn't look like it's quite over it. And vaccination certainly seems to mitigate the effects of COVID, but it doesn't, you know, doesn't stop you getting it. So I think we are all still carrying that, and the world is still carrying that. And I remember someone saying at the beginning of the pandemic, in the health industry, oh, pandemics are three years, and this looks like it might be three years, doesn't it? Yeah, and when you see people like Simone Biles or you as really, you know, people who have, they've, they've ticked everything off, you know, they've done the big things, and then they're able to sit, stand back and go, oh, look, I, I don't think I can put this on me today. And they still, well, not, not, not you so much, but Simone is still getting the, the battering of these, you know, professional blowhards and the like, but still. <laughs> but, you know, how do we build systems into life where you don't have to have already proven everything there is to prove before you can say, hey, sometimes it gets too much? Well, uh, I'm going to come back to where I started, which if you had equal representation of Indigenous wisdom and men and women and not um, – it's not about men and women. It's about masculine and feminine, balancing those energies in the world. And the masculine energy at its extreme is exploitative. It's back to the six men owning half the world's wealth. If we could live in balance with each other and actually all raise our voices and make the right decisions for all of humanity, for everyone, men and women, then we wouldn't be dealing with that sort of toxicity, that sort of, you know, go hard, you know, never stop, don't give up. I mean, that that leads to war and destruction of yourself to start with and also sometimes other people. Yeah, I know when I've been in a position of kind of working myself to a point of feeling burnt out, 
it's been very much things that I've put on myself rather than necessarily were what was work was saying you had to do. And you've kind of been doing twice what was meant to be done. And, you, you know, it's it's kind of was, was meant. I wonder, you know, how much of it comes down to having to have structures in place that stop people from overdoing it or if they see that people are overdoing it you pull you put a line in or because I, I wonder how much of it is um you, you know simply male or female energy or, or or masculine or feminine energy and how much of it is just kind of personal um yeah you kind of you kind of hurt yourself <laughs> oh yeah well of course there's a good yeah. part of the inner voice the inner mm. the inner eldest daughter perfectionist or whatever listen I, I listened to Elizabeth Gilbert speak you know the writer of Eat Pray Love wildly successful author and the topic of her speech was, you know, good enough is good enough. She said she writes a book and it's done. She doesn't re-edit it, re-edit it, re-edit it. She's already thinking about the next one and she you know, puts it puts it out into the world and on it goes. And she you know, doesn't care. She doesn't read reviews, I don't think. But anyway, the point is that's interesting that she was able to say that and live that because most people – Perfectionists, they think unless it's perfect, it's not good enough to put out there whatever whatever it is. And so we do put that pressure on ourselves. So taking a step back and listening to that inner voice and going, where did that come from? Did that come from a parent? Did that come from the pressure I put on myself? Where where has that come from? Because that, that that's the hardest to deal with, you know, when it's internal. But you can you can change that. I think I've changed my one a bit because I've changed the narrative in my head from you know, you, you you must do this, you should do this, Two, can I do this joyfully? Can I do this comfortably? Can I do this and, you know, is this a happy choice? Is this something that I can do for myself and for the world that's actually going to turn out to be fantastic? And so I think you can change that narrative inside your head. Yeah, and how do you, um, as just kind of a last thought on that, how do you go about... Um, being easier on yourself and changing that narrative and um, feeling confident and, you know, what kind of things do you do to support yourself in that process? Well, surround yourself with people who see you like that, who help you reframe that. Um, look, I, I, I was a late convert to therapy. I thought you don't need therapy, you just need really good friends and I've got many really good friends. But I think the right therapist or counsellor can help you look inside why you are thinking like that or feeling like that. So, Reframe the narrative, surround yourself with people at work, at leisure, at play, at home, who see your best, who see you at your best and who want to support you. And, um, you know, take on board that. Don't don't stay stuck in whatever was, you know, your, your early work narrative or your childhood narrative. Yeah, go easy on yourself and don't keep pushing when you know there's none left. <laughs> do things that bring you joy. It could yeah. be mountain biking. Every time I see you, there's, you buy a bike. You know, <laughs> So you go mountain biking. I can't think of anything worse. I love swimming. Do what brings you joy and do it at least every week and try and do something that you love every day. Yeah, well, it's magic to have. Um, it's magic that you've, you've you've helped to be part of lifting that conversation up at the moment. And as kind of a final thought, um, yeah, like. What, what will success be for you uh, now, you know, in, in terms of personal and in terms of your ventures? Um, enjoying every day. I, I, I do nothing. I'm essentially a volunteer now in everything I do. So I surround myself with people I love and respect and hang out with them. And I'm creating a little family enclave at the beach. You know, um, my sister is going to move into my house when my new house is built. My mum lives there. My other sister's going to build a house there. So, you know, to think that I will spend, you know, my... Uh, my future with um, the people that I love the most and that I'm only working with 
people like Senna and James, who I love. You know, we really have become each other's very close friends, as well as very authentic and open business partners who challenge each other. So I, I um, and all my charitable stuff as well, I only do things with for causes. It might be animals, it might be supporting women and girls here and overseas. In a situation where I admire the founder, want to support the work and believe that I can further, you know, good, good intentions turning up in the world. Well, that, that's magic. Thank you so much for coming and sharing the story today. That's uh, Teresa Gadding. Can't wait to see what happens with the Teresa Gadding Chair of Women in Entrepreneurship. And Kelda, thank you for sharing the story. Namahinui, thank you very much. Thank you very much to Teahe Butler for producing. And thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening. Cheers. Kakite. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin Off Podcast Network.